Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. All right, what is going on, people? You know that sound, the Unfiltered Band. Another episode of Unfiltered coming your way right here, right now. Officially, this will go down as episode number 151. Groundhog Day. Reliving your favorite moments in the SPORTS. And here we go indeed. Thank you, Unfiltered Band. As always, and thank you for being part of our band, jumping on board the Unfiltered Revolution. You can do so. Get it on my Twitter, at Casey Stern. Jump in the bio. Subscribe and uh, get over to the YouTube channel. Watch all the videos, all the interviews, and uh, so on and so forth. And uh, like and comment and question and observe or whatever you may do uh, and share with your friends and uh, family, of course. And, uh, of course, uh, you know, no disrespect at all. And welcome to most of you who are on the variety of the Apple and the Spotify and everywhere you get your uh, podcasts. As always, we appreciate the fact that we are here on Unfiltered, presented by our good friends at Bet Online. Bet Online made your number one source for all your betting needs this season, everything from the NFL playoffs to pro and college basketball, UFC, MMA, and more. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends over at Bet Online. Live betting options, free contests, and live scores almost any sport, any game imaginable. Bet online is truly the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite leagues and events. It's simple. Just head over to the website today or use your mobile device to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use the promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, to receive your reward. That's betonline.ag, where the game starts as we get started here. Uh, I put this out on Twitter, but I'll, I'll say it again. Uh, if you want to jump in, I'd love to hear comment on YouTube or get at me in the Twitter and the replies or mentions or uh, DMs. And uh, if you listen to Apple, Spotify uh, or anywhere you get your podcast, do the same. I want to know what your Groundhog Day moments are. Uh, by the way, uh, moments that you could spend with me. Remember, not just here, if you're watching on video, uh, showing you again uh, the uh, the threads for Rock and Roll Sushi and Alpharetta. If you're local in Georgia or you're in town, you could see me almost anytime and talk sports and hang out. Watch me perform, and I say that in quotes because uh, I will be uh, serving you food and drink. But uh, you can come hang out with me uh, Saturday nights uh, through Wednesday nights, uh, usually all day Sunday and Sunday night. I'm there as well. Uh, if I'm not and uh, you check in, you could find out when I'm going to be there or reach out to me um, and get involved. And uh, I do uh, have for uh, people who come in, if you have large parties and events and you want to do um, – Events for family, for birthdays, or whatever the case is, and get you some discounts. So hit me up if you are local, and I can uh, make that work for you. Or uh, catering opportunities as well. Rock and Roll Sushi, I'll see you there, I hope, in Alpharetta. Uh, meanwhile, uh, I see you here, and vice versa, and let's talk about Groundhog Day. Not the movie, which is fantastic, and I love Bill Murray. Not the holiday, and whether or not Punxsutawney Phil is going to come out and see the shadow, and what's going to happen with the six uh, you know, extras at weeks, or... It can't be six months of winter. So six extra weeks of winter. Not about the shadow. Not about the winter. It's about the the premise of the movie and the premise that now has become of Groundhog Day, which is living the same moments and living the same day over and over again. A lot of us in life and in sports uh, do that to the negative. Let's start with there and get it out of the way, because I think, you know, you know, PTSD which I think we've all experienced in our own way in our life, and I know I have, 
you you can relive moments in your head over and over uh, subconsciously or consciously that you don't want to. And as a sports fan, you certainly can go through many of those same things. As a fan of the teams I root for, like the Mets, the Knicks, and the Islanders, I won't say the Giants because they've given me a lot more joy than the other three teams. Um, I like many of you who root for, I'm sure, because, you know, look, even the Yankee fan may be a Jet fan and has that pain, right? And certainly the Yankees haven't won recently, but whatever the case may be. Um, you know, you, you, you know, Pittsburgh Pirate fan that's kind of dying inside for so many years had the Steelers Rottlesberger, Heinz Ward, and, and you know, Bill Cower, and then Mike Tomlin days had the Penguins with Sidney Crosby and Mario Lemieux before that. So you probably have experienced in most of these cities, you know, some good, some not so good. Phoenix Suns winning a lot lately, Arizona Cardinals, not so much. And you see where I'm going from there, right? Miami Heat, Miami Dolphins, I can go in. I, apparently, this kind of works for everyone I'm, I'm noticing now. But you've experienced the bad side of it. I mean, where you think, oh, no, here we go again. Uh, that happens as a sports fan all the time. I mean, if you're a Met fan, for example, every time that they lose a game, you know, when they're in first place in the middle of the season, and then they lose a second game, you're thinking, okay, now this is the beginning of our run where we collapse or then have to answer said questions on Twitter. You're going through all those, those, uh, you know, as I call it with the Met fan, the CTSD, the consistent traumatic stress disorder of losing and, and going through all that pain all over and over again. But I'm going to stay positive on this one. And I wanted to go through with you and I want yours as well. So some of these are personal to me. I'm not going to just do New York. I'm going to give you some other things too. But I wanted to go through the, the days that I wish I could have a Groundhog Day experience with. I don't know if any day, to be honest with you, even like the days I'm going to mention here as a sports fan or even the days in life, like you could say, the greatest days for me, you know, my, my kids were born, right? It's like, uh, you know, reliving the same day over and over and over and over and over again, going to get tedious regardless of what that day is. But I look at it this way when I think of this question. If you could go ahead and use you know, like the uh, DeLorean and the time machine and go have a Groundhog Day one more time and go relive a day, and I've got days like that in my life, and so do you in real life. And we got days like that in sports. Some because you want to fix mistakes you made. Some because you want to relive the joy. What are the days that you would want to relive on the sports side of it? Groundhog Day. At Casey Stern. Tweet at me after you listen to the episode or during while you're listening. And give me your thoughts. But give me some of mine. And I'm going to bounce around a little bit and give you... Some that are going to resonate for some of you. Some are going to resonate for all of you. There might be some that resonate for none of you. Sorry. Selfish. Let's start with the 18-1 and season in 2007 for the Giants. You know, there's nothing better when you're a fan of a sports team and they are an underdog. And they're – because, look, it's great to root for – the team that's at the front end, it's it's great to, you know, not be a front runner, but to feel like one because your team is winning all the time. I wouldn't know because my teams don't do that. But it must be great, and I've seen it, and I've covered it. It looks like a hell of a lot of fun. Met fans, certainly we don't know that. Islander fans, they did when I was five, right? First game I ever went to, I've talked about this, it, you know, Stanley Cup playoffs, but, you know, I don't remember it very well. The Knicks have had, you know, some high points. The teams I root for, they don't really experience those kind of things where they're winning all the time. 
it's a lot of underdog, but nothing like what I experienced as a fan in 2007 with the Giants. I remember the feeling of that run and just how, because it was such a surprise and because the stories from Coughlin along the way were so great, because they're knocking off the teams, they're knocking off on the way. I mean, on the road to go ahead and knock off Brett Favre in Lambeau Field at the time. If you're too young to understand that, go look it up. That's a thing, right? And the idea of the Patriots and how much Tom Brady at the time, God bless, you look, the greatest quarterback of all time, officially retired today again, uh, you know, unlike the Favre situation, several times, Clemens, Brady once already, I think this time it probably is for good. He seemed emotional about it. And I think he realizes he doesn't have as much in the tank anymore. He's the greatest quarterback of all time. I remember seeing him play, which I did as a fan at Michigan in a game against Northwestern, that Ann Arbor, when he was the quarterback there. This was a situation where the Patriots had been shoved down everybody's throat so much. You never heard enough on television. There wasn't enough time. If SportsCenter was an hour, they needed two to shove the undefeated attempt and run from Tom Brady and the Patriots and Randy Moss and that unstoppable offense. That moment and that run for the Giants to, to, to not only win and win in the fashion they did, the David Tyree catch, that drive, Eli Manning living up to all of the things that that draft trade were supposed to lead to, that his last name was supposed to re lead to. The fact that his brother could never beat Tom Brady, and here he was, here Eli, not the great Peyton, but Eli Manning was finding Plexico Burris down the sideline for a win. Strahan, Justin Tuck, all of that, right? And to shut the Patriots fans up as a New York fan, to shut up Boston. I mean, look, I'm a Met fan. They beat the Red Sox in 86. But you got to realize, for those who don't know my background, I went to school in Boston. I covered the Red Sox. I had covered the Red Sox, in the, which I'm going to mention, in the 04 run, which is special to me three years before that. I don't have the normal Boston-New York thing. I'm not a Yankee fan. Even the rest of my family may hate the Red Sox. I you know, didn't even do anything for me. never really hated the Red Sox. I didn't really care about the Patriots. I'm not a Jet fan. But... To, to live in that space and to be there at that time, and I've talked about this before in a previous podcast way back when, towards the beginning, and I don't remember which one it was, but I remember walking outside of that sports bar where I happened to watch it with some friends and, and hundreds of crazy Giant fans. I remember there were very rare few times, that, you know, this is not Friday Night Lights town that I grew up in, this is nothing wrong with that. I think it's fantastic. This is just not that way. It's not everybody closes the town. It's in New York City. This is, you know, a big place, right? There's a lot of other things going on. I've never, you know, in a building, sure. You know, in a hotel near a stadium, sure. Outside a stadium or an arena, yeah. But I never in New York City experienced anything like I did that night. Where without over-exaggerating, I walked outside the bar, I remember, to try and make phone calls and texts to friends saying, pardon, you hide the kids for one second. Holy shit. Like, look what just happened. And you literally could look around and everywhere you look, there were people in the streets screaming, 
hugging each other. Uh, you know, it was crazy. And not in a looting, rioting way, but like it was like it was like New Year's Eve. It was crazy. Outside of every bar, every building, people were coming out. It was, and I think even non-Giant fans, New Yorkers just hated Boston so much. They just wanted so badly to beat Tom Brady. I think every Jet fan remember, because, you know, I don't think they hate the Giants, but you're trying to beat the Patriots. They're becoming the biggest Giant fans. It was like the city, you know, doesn't look Mets, Yankees, doesn't unite all the time. You know, Nick's sure, but they don't have these moments. But it was, it was just unbelievable. That is a day... As a fan, I had so much fun and so much enjoyment. It felt so great. Love to relive that again. So that's one. I'm trying to give you one or two in kind of each sport here before I get to the overalls for me as a fan. So I'll give you an 18-1 Giants 2007. And I want to hear yours at Casey Stern. Get me in the comments if you're watching on YouTube. What were your moments? For the Mets, I'll give you two. I mean, obviously, I can give you 100. would be here all day. I'll give you two. And I can give you plenty of bad ones I wouldn't want to relive also. I'll give you two. In 2000, in the NLCS, and I've told this story as well, even though they didn't win the World Series, when they won that game that Mike Hampton started in that game against the Cardinals in game five, that was a very, very special day for me. Now, I, I got lucky and then unlucky with where my birthday is on the 17th of October because what ended up being for me once I started working in the business, never being home, never seeing my kids, never being around for my birthday for about, I don't even know, 12 years at least, which is hard for me. I was always on the road and it wasn't like I was getting home the next day. I usually wouldn't see the, you know, the kids or, you know, you know, anybody, friends, you know, it, nobody, family for weeks. Before that, it was, you know, if the team was in the playoffs, like it was like a birthday party with a playoff game. When I turned 21, Robin Ventura had the Grand Slam single was there. When I turned 22 on my birthday. It was and it turned midnight before we left the stadium. But that night, the 16th was that game five. And. I've told this story before, but it was a special night for me because of how it started and what it became. But I went with three with uh, two buddies of mine and we were supposed to meet my father at the game. The three of us went together. My father didn't show. I was worried. These were the days of pay phones. Think about how long ago this is, people. All right. And I remember being at a pay phone. Uh, hello, Adam Levine. Uh, yeah, I remember being at a pay phone and contacting eventually my mother who was able to contact my father. I mean, in a divorce, but she was trying to get a hold. Eventually he called her cause he figured I would call her. So like a triangle, his car had broken down on the grand central parkway. For those of you who live nearby and know about that area had broken down in the grand central parkway and he didn't know how he was going to get to the game. And he said he'd, he'd find us, but we had the tickets. So I didn't know what I was supposed to do. Set my other two friends up. They went up to the seats. We we're up in the upper deck in very close to like Benny Agbayani in and in left field. And they went up and I, I said, I'll just I'll wait. And I waited with the two tickets. And, you know, it, it kept using the payphone, and it was, you know, it was frustrating. It was freezing. And it clearly want to be there. But, you know, I was worried and concerned. My father ends up hitchhiking. And some guy who he tells the story to, my son is at the game. It's going to turn his birthday. 
and who happened to be a Met fan, clearly, you know, Grand Central, you're like 10 minutes in the state. Everybody knows that the game's going on. Dropped him off at the stadium. And I went up with him. I think it was in the second inning that we got up to the seats. We had no way to get home. His car was still left on the Grand Central Parkway on the side. Wasn't calling AAA. He just left the car there. And here we are in this you know crazy event. And Todd Zeal hits the double. Base is clear. Uh, makes it 6 nothing. They win. I think it was 6 nothing was the final. Um, McGuire, right, eventually gets up as a pinch hitter. And Keel, that whole thing. I mean, this is all taking place during that game. And we get out of there. We got no way to get home. They, it turned my birthday as they're celebrating. Papa Benny and the Mets. The stadium's shaking. It was an unbelievable event. It was like emotional, right? They're going to the World Series. It was crazy, right? And in this scenario, we got no way to get home. We're going to take the train. Like, what are we going to do? We walk outside the stadium. And I, and this is, this is terrible, but I, I share. I, I've said this before, but I say it again. Um, it reminds me of the Seinfeld episode for those who have not seen this. There is a Seinfeld episode where George and Jerry get into a car that's not theirs, a, a uh, you know, like a car service that's not theirs. And they find out that they are part of like some, um, you know, it, it, it look, you know, anti-Semitic, which, you know, the irony and the twist of that being the obvious Jerry's Jewish. I'm Jewish, so I'm saying it. But you know, they become part of something that they don't want to be. And they think they're on their way to go to the Knicks game and pick up Kramer and Elaine. And it ends up going haywire. It's a funny episode. I don't remember. Maybe season four or five, somewhere in that mix. So I say this because there were some car services that were outside. And there was a, a car that we were sitting there because we were looking to see if we could get one. And they all have different names. But there was a guy who kept calling out a name, calling out a name. And then he'd kind of stroll around. He had the window. I don't remember what the name was. The name in the window, right? And yeah, eventually, you know, we pulled up. And at the time, it wasn't like Uber. So somebody must have called, you know, and he comes there. And it's not like they're on some app where he's going to get rated differently. And we offered him a few dollars to not wait for them and, and took his car. And... There we were in a car service and me and my two friends and my dad, and we passed by his car still broken down, which he ended up getting the next day on the parkway and went home. And during it, listened to WFN radio to all the post game in the locker room and Piazza and everybody talking about how excited they were to go to the World Series. And it was on my birthday. That was I'd love to relive that day again. So I'll give you that one. Basketball for the Knicks that, you know, <laughs> What I wrote here was because I couldn't really I first I put the Larry Johnson four point play, which was amazing. Right. I remember literally jumping into my best friend's arms, like physically jumping in the air when that happened. Um, that's the latest, the loudest I've ever heard the garden. But I it wasn't enough. So I put the 90s because to me and I wrote down specifically the rivalries against the Heat and the rivalries against the Pacers. If you're a basketball fan, even if you're not a Knicks fan, and notice I didn't put the Bulls because, you know, too much pain that Michael Jordan and company caused me as a fan. But those two rivalries and what those segments of time for me were as a fan, I know it's kind of cheating because it's not really Granite Day. Those were so much fun. The P.J. Brown, Charlie Ward thing, the game where the, the, the Knicks could only suit up like eight guys because Ewing and everybody was up the bench. Jeff Van Gundy hanging on to a morning's leg and looking like he hadn't slept in weeks. All of those different things. The Spike Lee, Reggie Miller, which didn't go the right way. The Larry Johnson that did. 
way Allen Houston played against them, the Ewing part that did work like this, and then the one with the finger roll that didn't. You know, those two, I mean, I hated Tim Hardaway. I ended up meeting him and for a day or two working with him, a terrific guy, and his son's fantastic. Um, so you can't really not lie. But at the time, him, Dan Marley, Sean Leonard, like anyone who was a member of the Miami Heat, I couldn't stand. Uh, I loved those two rivalries. So for basketball, I'm going to give you Knicks Heat and give you Knicks Pacers. But the whole 90s, as, as a, I mean, I, I love those teams. And Knicks fans, we're dyed in the wool. I mean, just last night, I'm sitting here watching this game against the Lakers, and I tweeted it out. I'm thinking of it, it was a great game, and Brunson was fantastic, even though they lost in overtime and gave it up and didn't play well enough defensively and made mistakes and turnovers in overtime. It's a whole other thing. But I was thinking of the Jeremy Lin moments. Like, that's another one as a Nick fan. I'd love to relive that week again. That would probably be that kind of, you know, in that B spot. But I had those 90s rivalries for me were just unbelievable. On the hockey side, there are so many I could choose from. I mentioned in the past in a way earlier podcast about being at a three-overtime game during the 93 run in which my mother was waiting for all three overtimes out in the car in the parking lot, basically for an entire extra hockey game, and pretty much wanted to kill me and my friends when we finally got out because I couldn't even I couldn't get out to, to the lot, couldn't leave the building, and there were no cell phones. I couldn't call her in 1993. I don't even think we had beepers or pagers then. She lit, I mean, she knew. She's listening to it on the air. She figured nobody's out of the building yet. But there was no way to say, hey, thanks for waiting. And literally, she had to wait for an extra three hours in a parking lot. And it was like, you know, it was, it was a nightmare. It wasn't as easy as like in The Karate Kid when Ralph Macchio's mom drops them off on a date, picks them up. You know, this three hours waiting for me, right? So the, which is an incredible day and game and Ray Ferraro's goal. And that, that run in 1993 was unbelievably special for me because at the time, I'm 15, 16 years old. And I, I just there with my friends. We were in the top row of the building for so many of those games. I was at two of those games against the Penguins. I was at the game where Turgeon got hurt. I mean, being there for all that was just so surreal. And I saw fights in the stands and there's so many like little moments I remember and just how excited we were. Like you're in school that day and you're just tick, 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 clicking down the clock. All you care about is that you're you're going to the hockey game like you're going to the play like it was it was that whole run was was so damn cool. I remember where I was sitting in my house watching the David Volick goal when they beat the Penguins who were going for their third cup in a row. But and I mentioned it before, I'm going to go more recent. The bubble run that the Islanders made and the run that ensued that followed they were kind of life-changing for me. I, I got to tell you that, you know, in sports, I've heard many people talk about how sports are a, a an escape, how sports can, you know, be an important part of your life when you have struggle. And, and I'm, I'm going to be totally, I'm always honest, but it'd be, you know, really vulnerably honest with you. And also, you know, maybe not to, to what is the right thing to say, because you're supposed to say that's happened. That had never happened to me before. I love sports. I mean, I work in it. You know, anybody's listening to me, you know, I'm passionate about sports. I love them. But I had never had moments in my life that got fixed by sports. I had never had, you know, um, the lowest of the low where, you know, there was some sporting event that somehow I can kind of like cling on to. I never, I never had that happen to me before. I'd heard people talk about it all the time. 
I'd felt it with work where sometimes where I'd be on the air and maybe, but I never, as a fan, I just never experienced anything like that. And I, and I, I'd covered people and heard about it for years. It just really had never happened to me before. That bubble run. Everything that was going on at the time with COVID and in my life and what I had gone through the years prior and, you know, sharing that with the people I was sharing it with and everything that happened during that, it's, it's one of the most special times for me in my life as a sports fan. And the next run that they made and the role that it played in my life at a time where I really needed some something to cling on to that was that was positive, that was easy. That was an escape for me um, with the pressures I was going through. I mean, it was it was just an unbelievable time for me. Both such surprises, both so great. The second one, I thought they'd win. You know, uh, obviously, best of luck to Anthony Beauvillier now as he moves on to Vancouver. But that game six goal, the whole Pulak situation. And uh, I was posting at the time on, on Twitter, there was a blackout because of the weather in the area of Atlanta where I was living at the time. And I missed like half of that game and it was in the dark and I couldn't get the score and like that whole, and I'm, I'm smiling now and like in a, in a good emotional way, like there's so much going on in my life. And it was like this, this, this light, like in this dark, um, you know, for, for my family was this Islanders run. It was just so special. So, um, you know, I, I don't think I would want to relive what was going on off the ice again, but I definitely, what what that played for me and the bubble run before that, which was a special and in just a far different way that I won't get into. Um, but those for me as fans, I think that's where I probably would go in, in terms of my favorite teams. Overall, there are a couple that I wanted to bring up, right? The 0-4 run for the Boston Red Sox that I got the pleasure of covering. The first job I had in baseball, working at MLB.com, it was only I was only there from April to August before on the 10th of August, they decided because they wanted to do a show on the Red Sox website and they wanted to start doing what they called team shows at the time. And I started this show, State of the Red Sox Nation. And the idea being that I pitched to them that I wanted to be the voice of the nation and kind of get fans to do the show with me. And we'd interview players and do all that other kind of stuff, which we did. First interview I did there for them was with Kevin Millar. And one of the, the first feature I did for that show was asking Red Sox teammates to try and spell Menkevich, which I still can do for Dougie Ichard, who became friendly with over the years after that and was kind enough to come on my show, I don't know, a bazillion times on radio. But it's M-I-E-N-T-K-I-E-W-I-C-Z, I believe still. But had a lot of fun with with doing that show. And little did I know that from August 10th to the end of the season when I was with them and then for two years after that. But that I would be there for the craziest comeback in the history of sports. You know, there's there's the upset of the miracle on ice. And there's, you know, the, the upset you can give me of Buster Douglas and Mike Tyson. And in there are some others in that one game moment, in that one game upset. But there's no bigger other upset in the history of sports outside of the miracle on ice, in my opinion, than what the Red Sox did, considering they lost 19 to 8 in that game three, who the Yankees were, the curse, all the years that they hadn't beaten the Yankees and everything else after that. To be there every day for that was amazing. 
And to see that take place was amazing. The fact that I was able to, I don't know if I told this story before, but after game six, I was able to convince the people at MLB.com that because they were based in New York, that they could have somebody else be there outside a stadium to get interviews or sit there and throw a mic in front of somebody if the Red Sox win that game seven in New York, or if you know, or the Yankees do. But you're never going to get a moment like this in sports again, and we haven't since. For a city to experience something after all that losing like they had, to experience something after the comeback that they would be completing, to not have a presence there, to not cover that story, that's the story. I never thought it would work. I remember the conversation with, and shout out to uh, Elliot and Tom, the two guys I was doing it with. I never thought, and that's uh, my editor and producer, and my cameraman. I never thought the three of us that, that I would convince them. I remember being on the phone after telling these guys, Hey, this is what I'm going to try and do. And we were in a cab after game six. I remember this vividly trying to like, this is never going to work. It was like midnight and calling like the, the guy who was you know, my boss in New York and, Never thought it would work. And we sold him on it and got to be in Boston and outside Fenway Park. Now, the, the, the part that kind of dampened some of it is that what was an amazing night and there was so much that happened. I chipped the tooth, had a boombox slammed in my face in the middle of the party filming. I mean, it, it was you know, some good, some bad, but there, there ended up being somebody who, who got shot in like it was like literally I, I did not hear it when it happened, but just around the corner from where I was, um, which, you know, kind of took away from what was an amazing night up until that. But to be there in that run um, is still, if you go today in that Sox DVD, which exists somewhere, you can watch somewhere. The one that Dennis Leary does the first time David Ortiz gets the trophy in that locker room. I'm the one who's interviewing him at the time for MLB.com. And that was, um, Man, that was just that was such a special time for me. So I because I, I'd made it and I, I, you know, even after all the TV stuff that I did and, and, and all of that, honestly, that's that's a moment along with, you know, the Mets and probably in 2006 when I was covering them. Those are the moments that I think about, like where they were the real pinch me moments for me in my life as as somebody doing this for a living really more than any I, I had. So uh, I'm so blessed to be there for that. Obviously, Yankee fans, uh, sorry. You can now go back to listening to the rest of the show. The other thing that I wrote down, and I want to hear yours again, at Casey Stir, give me your comments and, and jump in. But the other thing that I brought up that I wanted to, to get out there, which it makes me feel emotion. This is how much I love this game, this, this sport. And it's not just baseball, but it makes me feel emotional as I wrote, read, and as I'm reading, I see I'm mumbling. As I'm reading what I wrote. What I wrote down was, I wish I could have the first time feeling as a kid walking to a stadium. Walking from the car into the front of that park where you hand those tickets and your dad for me at the time or whoever it might be. I think about taking my kid to his first Islander game and I haven't been able and taking him to a baseball game, never just uh, the two of us yet, but, uh, but being able to do that, which I did, even though it was a Braves game, not a Met game. He hasn't been to one yet. I, that feeling when you're just so excited and to go through those turnstiles, you don't know what's about to happen. 
that feeling when you get into a stadium and you're going up the escalators or however you get there and you're looking at the sections and you're looking at the ticket that you have that your your mom or dad gave you and, and you're looking we're in section you know 340 or 117 or 218 and which way does the numbers go and how do we get there and look at all the food options that we have and should we get food now should we sit in the seats did batting practice start then when you walk through that tunnel and you get those chills that I freaking got right now those chills that, that that stadium opens up to you like this beautiful canvas. I wish I could get that feeling for the first time again. You know, I, I in not being able to be at a baseball stadium covering it now for a year and a half or whatever it's been and having what has, you know, happened in my life and, you know, this dream that I've had since I'm five, yeah, I, I I say this, and these are the things that that also drive me to 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 never give up and never quit. Um, I don't even think the people who are closest to me in my life or have been over the last few years truly understand what this dream has meant to me, and what it's meant to my my heart and my soul to lose it, and how inspired and driven I am to you know, survive with strength and push forward to try and, and one day feel that again. But I wish I could really feel the feeling of the first time I walked into a stadium because that is just the most, it's, 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 there is never a purer feeling in the world than being a kid for the first time walking into a baseball stadium. That's what I'd like to have again. Groundhog Day for you. What is it? At Casey Stern on Twitter. Get me in the comments. Hopefully you're liking the podcast. Let me know what you think, your thoughts, your opinions, your topics for lists and whatnot. As always, uh, we listed the uh, priority of number one, the fact that uh, we appreciate that we here at Unfiltered are presented as always by our good friends at Bet Online. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.